Hey, everyone. Thanks. Everyone's happy. <laughs> Must be spring. Um, hey, before we begin the teaching, a shout out to the dozen or so volunteers uh, who went with our Hands on Faith ministry to do a move-in at the Catherine McCauley Center or with the Catherine McCauley Center in Cedar Rapids. They are helping assist with the resettlement of Afghanistan refugees. Hundreds of them are now moving into Cedar Rapids homes and apartments. Um, So if you can imagine, we walked into these empty apartments and we made them into homes. It was amazing. We set up the bedrooms, the beds, uh, towels. We set up the kitchens. Um, We brought beds up three stories, and some of us are sore today. (laughs) So um, it was a lot, a lot of fun. And um, some of us actually were at one apartment where one of the other families that had already been settled next door brought over some chai um, that he had prepared and some desserts that were uh, native to his home culture and shared them with us. His two young daughters were there kind of dancing around. And um, it was just, it was super meaningful and delightful to be a part of that. So we hope to share more opportunities like this in the coming weeks. Uh, so if you want to volunteer, look out for those opportunities. Um, so that's that. Okay, on with the teaching. We're continuing our uh, Lent series, uh, Seeking God's Peace, and we're going to talk about peace offerings to God this morning. Um, My wife, Allie, and I visited a lavender farm over uh, last summer, and so we're going to actually have ushers pass out some lavender. Where are those? We got those? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so they're going to pass out some satchels of lavender that you can smell, free smells at Sanctuary today. And um, you'll get a satchel, and so just, you know, take a whiff or move in your fingers, then you can smell your fingers if you want. Um, you know, don't rub it on your nose. Let's, let's be mindful of that. Um, they're not the exact satchels that we got at this lavender farm. Um, and here's the first photo of me in a lavender field. <laughs> Saintly, beatific. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought of myself as an aspiring mystic, you know, and this is, this is it. I'm on my way. Um, you can't see the hundreds of bees that are swarming around. If you leave them alone, they leave you alone, it turns out. Um, actually, someone in our group got stung <laughs> while we were there. Why am I laughing? I don't know, but it was funny. Um, Okay, you walk into this barn where they have hung all the cut lavender flowers and they're drying. This wall of lavender scent slams into you. It's like taking a bath. It's just full immersion in lavender. Stunning. Uh, They showed us a little bit of the process of extracting the oil from the lavender plants um, using this... uh, technique, whatever they're using. And then they use the lavender in all kinds of products, of course, that you and I have grown to love. Um, and one of those was they, they use it in a lot of cooking. Um, and so we had lavender lemonade, which is as delicious as you might think. It was awesome. Now, whenever I smell lavender, I am immediately transported back to that lavender farm on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. It's so powerful. And I don't know if you have this experience with some smells, 
where you're instantly transported or think of a person or a place or event in your life. And scientists have studied this, you know, that there's this sort of immediacy with our sense of smell and its ability, its association with feelings and with memories and memory formation and how that happens. Well, because smells are so powerful, it's not surprising that faith traditions use smell a lot. They use uh, fragrances and scents and all kinds of spiritual practices. One of the places we see that in the Bible is in the offerings and sacrifices. One of them is called the peace offering, which is our subject for this morning, and our theme, Seeking God's Peace, in this Lent, uh, Lent series. Eventually, the entire sacrificial system that we see in the Bible came to focus around the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. This is a made-up artistic representation of what the temple would have looked like at the time of Jesus. We call it Herod's temple. So not the original temple, but one that was rebuilt later on. Uh, this is, by the way, in Jerusalem, in what is called, it's, whose name means city of peace. Walking through the temple would have been an unbelievably fragrant experience, okay? And I found a scholar who summarized this really well, and I want to read to you her words. This is Anne Katrin de Hemmergum, which is quite a name. She's out of the University of Oslo. She writes this, The worshipers who came to the sanctuary at the temple would have experienced an overwhelming combination of smells, the smell of spicy herbs baked by the sun that's carried by the wind, the smell of humans standing close together, the smell of animals, of dung and blood. And behind it all as a backdrop, the scent, the constant smell of the sacrificial smoke that rises to the sky. She goes on, smell was an important factor in delineating sacred space in the ancient world. The sense of smell was a crucial part of the conceptualization of the meeting between the human and the divine. So the rich combination of smells that people experienced in the temple would have signaled crossing a threshold into the divine. It's likely that people's associations would have been very good and very positive of the temple. It was like a big party. It was a huge festival atmosphere. Uh, it would have contributed to people's sense of well-being and peace, both internally and among each other. Uh, the meal that people shared, so what happens is you bring an animal and you sacrifice it. You bring it as an offering. And then you eat the meat, like Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving. So it would have been a very big holiday feel to it, um, and just like we enjoy Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving, have so many positive associations, our favorite foods, our favorite smells, that's how it would have felt like in the temple. But, alas, like every institution, the temple had some problems. And there were a lot of critiques of how things happened there. And we're going to look at one of the critiques of the temple, and it comes to us from Jesus, his teachings about it. So we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to hear what Jesus has to say. 
All right. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him and his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have con- not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, so, a lot going on here to unpack. But it's a fairly simple story. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. They're plucking little heads of grain and eating it. It's like snacking on popcorn. It's delicious, but illegal. (laughs) And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, point this out to Jesus. Look, your disciples are doing what is not legal, what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And so Jesus responds. His response takes two forms, okay? The first response is, number one, there are some exceptions to this rule, okay? And he points out two exceptions. One is King David in the Bible got away with it, but it's okay for King David and no one else? What's going on here? The second exception is the priests in the temple can do things that no one else, quote unquote, gets to do. They get to do what's not lawful. So Jesus is saying, look, there's these exceptions to the rule, so you can't really have a rule if you've got all these exceptions that happen all the time. But then he takes it a step farther, and he says, basically, speaking of the temple, (laughs) I have something to tell you, and that is this. God doesn't want sacrifices. Bless you. God doesn't need, too much lavender smell in the back, (laughs) God doesn't need sacrifices or want them. Okay, so what is Jesus doing? He's doing a lot. First of all, he is quoting one of the prophets of old, Hosea. So this is a scripture out of the prophet Hosea, centuries before Jesus, who said this. And Hosea is speaking on behalf of God in this verse. For I, says God, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The language is slightly different from ours because that was in Hebrew, the New Testament is in Greek, so we get a slightly different version here from Jesus. But essentially the same meaning arises. And that is, God doesn't need or want sacrifices. Jesus is entering into a centuries-long critique of the temple and sacrifices. And he has some delicate things to do here, okay? Because on the one hand, Jesus would have enjoyed the temple like everybody else. All those smells that we talked about earlier, Jesus would have had that experience. In fact, in one of the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is always in Jerusalem. He is there at all of the major festivals. There's three major festivals annually. 
Jesus is there at every festival. He's in the temple. He's participating in the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. He's sharing meal with his family and friends there, likely. And then he's doing miracles and doing all kinds of other teachings as he does so. So Jesus would have appreciated the meaning, the sense of identity and purpose, the celebration and the peace that would have been afforded by participating in the temple. On the other hand, this critique, God doesn't need sacrifice. In fact, there's three critiques that people get into at the temple, and I'll summarize these quickly. The first is political. Um, Who has the power or authority at the temple? Does the king or the political ruler or do the priests or how about the prophet who speaks and acts on God's behalf? Second critique, money. Who's paying for this? Is everyone contributing? Um, Who gets taxed? How and why? Is there any money laundering happening at the temple? You bet. Let's find it, right? And then finally, theologically, does God actually need this dead animal carcass? What's going on here? Is this actually accomplishing something between humankind and God? Do we need to do this? What's going on here? And this is the third. This third one is what Jesus is honing in on. And by the way, Jesus actually engages in all three of these critiques at different times. But again, these are century-old critiques. You can find every single one of these in the Old Testament. And it's a critique from within. The people are kind of arguing within themselves. On the one hand, yes, the temple is super, super important. We love it. On the other hand, these things, these questions. But here's the theological problem. The traditional view says this. God requires sacrifice to reestablish peace between God and humankind. Humans have done things to displease God. And humans need to make up for this by bringing a peace offering, a gift or a sacrifice to God. A pleasing aroma of animal sacrifices goes up to the heavens, it pleases God, and God is no longer grieved or angry. God feels happy and at peace, and peace is reestablished between humankind and God. The alternate view what Hosea and what Jesus and other prophets are saying is simply God doesn't need sacrifices. God doesn't need anything to feel good about humankind. God's good favor towards humankind has never been in jeopardy. God's first, God's last word is love and peace towards humankind. And there's nothing that humans can or should do to earn God's good favor. We can't. It's already here in the full. God's peace-filled intentions are unceasing. So there's nothing that people need to do. Do you hear the difference there? The difference between, oh, we've got to earn it, we've got to do something to get it back, and you don't need this. So in this view, the alternative view, like, why then have sacrifices? Well, it's for us. If you want to do sacrifices, you can, but then use them as a means of restoring peace within and among yourselves because 
it's kind of nice to have a party and to bring a thank offering to God and recognize God is the source of all our good gifts. We don't have to repair anything with God exactly because God always has peace-filled intentions towards us. But with one another, we can share in an offering and share in the abundance that God has given us. This view on sacrifice can extend even to how we understand Jesus and Jesus' death on the cross. So Richard Rohr, a Catholic writer and speaker, says it like this. Jesus did not come to change God's perspective on humankind. Jesus came to change humankind's perspective on God. It's very different from some of the preaching about Jesus and some Christian traditions where God needs a sacrifice to feel okay. God needs something to be done to feel at peace towards humans. And here's God in the Old Testament, centuries before Jesus, going, I don't need sacrifice. I'm doing just fine. I am delighted by you. I love you. I have only good favor and peace towards you. And there's nothing you humans need to do to earn my love and my goodwill towards you. Sanctuary's bagels come from Brugger's. <laughs> Brugger's is a special place. Um, I now get to pick up the bagels on Sunday mornings and bring them to Sanctuary. And every time I get this big bag of bagels and I bring them into my van, and it takes about seven seconds for my van to be transformed into a bagel temple. (laughs) The smell of fresh bagels fills my van And I have 10 minutes of bliss as I drive from Brugger's to here. I bring our bagels in, and we have a crew of folks who help set them up. And it is amazing. It makes me inordinately happy for these bagels to be here. Here's what I want to tell you. Our bagel table is Sanctuary's peace offering to God. Does God need our bagel table? No. Does it delight God? Absolutely. God loves our bagel table. And it is an offering we bring. We are celebrating it together. It affords us great peace and joy. It is delicious. There are so many options. There's plenty for everybody. Do we have any rules at the bagel table? Yes, don't lick the knives. (laughs) Don't touch it. Okay, hey, we're starting more. (laughs) So yes, we need some rules, but let's not overdo it and let's not lose sight of the fact that they are for us. This lovely peace offering that we get to engage in week after week here at Sanctuary. This is the kind of freedom and abundance and free, you know, freedom that Jesus had, I think, with the temple and that Jesus longs for Christian communities everywhere to practice. This, this abundance, this peace offering that we've, we've already got it, this theological idea, I don't need sacrifice, God says. I want mercy. 
When we get into this theological perspective, two things happen. Number one, we can relax. We can relax into God's peace. God's good favor is already here and on us. We don't have to do anything to earn God's good favor. It's already here. We're in it. And number two, we are free to focus on the things that God does want us to focus on. Justice, mercy, peace, practicing the things that love our neighbor. There's another prophet who said that, right? What does God want? What does God require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. That's what God's looking for. When we're not busy trying to reestablish peace with God because we know we already have it, then we are free to go out and do justice. Free to help folks set up an apartment or a home. Free to bring a meal to those in need who are sick. Free to give financially to help people who have financial needs. These are the things that make for peace our peace offering. Amen.